Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to economist Colin McCarthy and Barry Halloran of the Irish Times about a possible 30% hike in airfares due to higher taxes being imposed by the European Union. But first, Peter Hamilton joins me for a run-through of some of the major business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. We're going to start with business rates, uh, and they seem to be going up. That's right. Particularly bad if you're in Dublin city centre and if you're under the under the control of Dublin City Council because they're going to face commercial rates increase of almost 3% after, 20, after the, the 2020 budget Why? was cancelled. Well, so the 2020 budget was uh, passed by the council on Monday and effectively they had a choice. Dublin uh, City Council Chief Executive Owen Keegan put in front of them a number of options. His option was to increase rates by 1.5% and then you could also increase things like social housing rent uh, and the cost of parking and tolls. They elected not to increase social housing rent uh, and instead to go to go after businesses and, and take double what Mr. Keegan was proposing. So that was, well, almost double. It was 2.7% mm. in the end. So that's... Peter, just explain to us why there's such a big hole in the budget that has to be filled. So the government removed 8.4 million of rates that was due from Irish Water, but it's now being spread to other local authorities. So that has left this hole and, and, and that had to be filled. Uh, I, I suppose the... The suggestions were to increase this by less than than that two point seven percent, but it was a political block of Fianna Fáil. Well, we were talking about five percent at one stage, so I guess it wasn't as bad as as had been uh, suggested earlier. No, but it could have been broad based increase uh, across a number of tax heads, and instead it wasn't. It, well, yeah. Instead, it was one major head. Now tolls are going to go up as well. Tolls are thirty six percent rise in the East Link uh, bridge toll to one euro ninety from next April. Um, so and to go about one hundred and fifty meters across, maybe not less even across the Liffey, you're going to have to pay one euro ninety. That's right, and if you wish to park on either side of it, your your parking charges will be ten percent more expensive as well. So yeah. look, it's now, and if, we, if we're if we're if we're about to expect things like congestion charges, uh, maybe this is in keeping with sustainability and the environment. One doesn't know, but it's it's. So what has the business community been saying? Well, look, I, I think it's a significant burden to bear. One independent councillor said that it's going to impoverish some local businesses and uh, Niall MacDonald from ISME, obviously obviously not in favour of it either, and uh, Dublin Chamber were, were out against it yesterday as well. It's, it's, it is an expensive charge given where Dublin is in the context of uh, other cities. There was a report out this morning which said that rates... Uh, rents. Th- th- that rents rather on Grafton Street are the 13th most expensive in the world and the 7th in Europe. Yeah, it's quite um, extraordinary. Um, all right, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Now, um, during the week, a senior uh, former official from the finance ministry in Germany came out and told Derek Scalier, our man in Berlin, um, that the austerity measures that were imposed on Ireland were uh, a bit too harsh. That's right. This is Professor uh, Christian Kastrup. He was a former aide to German finance minister Wolfgang Schäuble at the time of the, the crash. Mm. Uh, yeah, he said Ireland was hit with unnecessarily harsh austerity me- measures at Berlin's behest. And we kind of knew that, well, we knew at the time that Berlin was, was well, we knew the austerity, austerity charge. Harsh, that's for sure. And we knew they were harsh, I suppose. But uh, he said that the dominant view in Berlin at that time was that all countries should share this austerity burden and swallow the austerity pill. Um, and he said that Ireland was hit with German hubris and the, that the Germans could have been more generous towards Ireland. Because uh, we took our medicine, but maybe Greece and other countries now, they might have a different view in those countries. Yeah. But maybe those uh, countries didn't uh, quite embrace austerity in the same way that our governments did. I thought the other interesting uh, point he made 
was the fact that this was uh, this is an ideology uh, essentially in Germany. It's a post-war thing, and how they look at debt and inflation, and they just simply can't shake it. This is this black zero thing where they want to balance their budgets and not borrow beyond a certain uh, a certain level, uh, and that has become increasingly more prominent in the country of late. It was only that they couldn't borrow over a certain level of, of economic output at federal level. Now it's at state level. So that's not going away in Germany. Uh, what that means for another crash, you know, remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, he, he did make the point, as you said there about Greece and Portugal, that this decision, the, the, these views were applied throughout Europe on a blanket basis without taking into account the fact that Ireland was probably doing things a bit better than our yeah. southern European counterparts. All right. Uh, Pascal Dunne, who was in Germany actually this week, did yeah. he have anything to say on this? Well, well he actually de- declined to criticise Germany's role in the bailout. He did, did say the process has been challenging, but uh, mm, what else would he say? Um, now, uh, some good news for businesses, not in Dublin, because the rates are going up, but in Galway, apparently your hometown, yeah. it's, uh, it's a great place to set up a new business. It is. It's the most efficient Irish city to start a business. This is from a study by the World Bank. Now, look, it's, it's across five measures and it, it, you know Galway still does lag other cities in getting electricity and enforcing contracts that first one is an unusual one to hear in uh, modern day but anyway mm. that was one of the areas where Galway fell down even though it is the, the top Irish city Traffic congestion I would say is another area where Traffic Galway falls down congestion is a very big issue uh, of course the Galway Ring Road is one proposed solution but we'll see how that uh, how that, how that yeah. moves on in, in, in the coming years with the, the green agenda. But anyway, Irish cities, so there were five assessed in this. Um, we are still among the best in the EU when it comes to starting a business. And we, we, we did well in another measure, dealing with construction uh, permits. But, you know, the, the, the issue is that the average time to deal with those construction permits varies significantly in Waterford, five months. Uh, in Cork, it's seven months. So a lot of regional variance there and... While uh, Dublin, of course, does still perform well across a number of metrics that getting electricity won, bizarrely. Uh, It's still good for starting a business and it's good for enforcing contracts. The legal Mm. aspect uh, in the state was also criticised. The high cost of litigation and the length of legal processes was seen as a stumbling block. Again, a lot of regional variance there. Legal costs highest in Dublin uh, and Southern Ireland cheaper in the West. A lot of things are uh, cheaper in the West, uh, yeah. as would happen, and, and that is one. Now, your parents have uh, businesses in, mm. in Galway. Well, one, one. Are, you, are you tempted to go back and um, set up a business? Uh, does this in any way entice you back home? I, I have a wonderful job here, and I'm very happy where I am. But uh, look, it's it's very positive. Galway is doing well in medtech. Uh, it has established its own niches there. So... You know, it's positive for the city, it's positive for people, but Galway suffers from the same issues as Dublin. Rents are rising, as you mentioned, congestion. A lot of issues that we we can't get too carried away with this, as some in government may may well do. Yeah, okay. All right, we'll leave there. Peter Hamilton, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Now, air travellers could potentially face fare increases of up to 30% in the coming years as the European Union increases taxes on aviation. Economist Colin McCarthy warned of this at a tourism industry conference last weekend and the Irish Times wrote about it earlier this week. He said the EU wants to hit jet kerosene with a 33 cent a litre carbon tax and also wants to end the VAT exemption for airline tickets. Colin McCarthy joins me in the studio along with Barry Halloran of the Irish Times who wrote the story about Colin's uh, speech. Uh, gentlemen, you're both very welcome to Inside Business. Colin, I might uh, start with you. Um, what leads you to believe that there could be a 30% increase in fares on the cards? 
Well, uh, I think the jet kerosene tax is on the cards, uh, and that would add, uh, as you said, about 33 cents a litre. Uh, a litre of jet kerosene, if you put one in your car, which wouldn't be a good idea, <laughs> the, the engine wouldn't like it, uh, it would cost 60 or 65 cents. But so would a litre of diesel if there were no taxes on it. Uh, we, we all pay 135 or something like that for diesel, a little bit more for petrol. But most of the price is actually tax. It's excise duty, carbon tax, and VAT. Uh, now, what the Commission uh, is working on is a proposal which has a lot of support now, and indeed the Taoiseach indicated that Ireland will, will support it, having initially, I think, uh, uh, not been keen on it, but he indicated last week that the Irish government will support it. What they're proposing is to put a, a tax on jet kerosene in the nature of a carbon tax, and it would increase the price of jet kerosene by about a half. And uh, that wouldn't put up airfares by a half, but mm. it would put up airfares by probably about 10 or 11 percent, something, something of, of that order. And they wouldn't do it immediately. They'd, they'd take quite a while to phase it in, I imagine. The, the other item, though, is VAT. There's no VAT on airfares. And you know, most of the stuff that doesn't have any VAT is deemed to be a necessity and anything that's more in the nature of a luxury. There, there's so children's clothes, for example. That sort of stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and food, most food items don't have uh, any VAT. Uh, so it's kind of an anomaly, really, that airfares are completely exempt from VAT. The Commission is not proposing uh, at any early date to, to impose VAT on, on airfares. It's jet kerosene is, is what they've picked. Uh, they may eventually come around to have a look at the VAT exemption, mm. which is a big thing. You know, I mean, VAT is, is 20% in most European countries. It's 23 here. Mm. Uh, so no, we did have an air travel tax, didn't we? Um, we did, and we scrapped it. Mm. Uh, some other countries have ad hoc ticket taxes, they're called. Uh, and the history of this is kind of boring, really. But uh, back uh, at the end of the Second World War, towards the end of the Second World War, there were international agreements to exempt international transport from indirect taxes. Uh, and that applies to maritime transport. There is no excise duty on marine diesel. So if you put diesel in your ship, if you have one, uh, it's cheap, a lot cheaper than putting diesel in your car. Uh, and the same applies to jet kerosene in, in airplanes. And jet kerosene, is st it's similar to diesel in terms of its uh, carbon emissions at, at low altitude anyway. So uh, I think what's going to happen is that the Commission will probably be able to go ahead now and introduce in stages uh, a, a tax on jet kerosene. The value-added tax bit, which is actually bigger, uh, I, I don't think there's the same push on that. If it happens, it'll take longer. Right, OK. Now, if this is to happen, and obviously, presumably, this is driven by climate change concerns, but if this happens, what will the impact be on an island nation like Ireland, where obviously we rely on air travel uh, to come and go? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, about uh, 80 or 90% of all the passenger travel in and out of Ireland is by air, as you can imagine. Uh, Britain's an island too, uh, yeah. and well, it does have the Channel Tunnel connecting yeah, with France. Uh, but uh, the, the percentage reliance on air in Britain for external travel is, is also very high. 
Um, if the and of course they're leaving the European Union, so maybe they won't be impacted by this. They can make their own rules. Uh, well, uh, my guess is that they will agree to follow European rules on environmental stuff. Uh, I think, uh, but 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 on on the substantive question, uh, if they bring in uh, a jet kerosene tax at the kind of level we're talking about, after a number of years when it's fully implemented. Airline tickets will be about 10% higher than they are now, maybe 12, something of that order. Uh, That would probably knock some of the growth out of air travel Mm. over that period, but I'm not sure it would reduce air travel. And if you're talking about the connectivity of Ireland as an island nation, a windy rock in the North Atlantic, which it is, uh, especially today, uh, uh, if you were to knock the volume of, of flights back to what they were, say, two or three years ago, which is the most, the worst you'd be doing. Uh, well, the country was connected then, so I, I think you can make too much of a fuss about connectivity. Give you an example. Uh, there are 55 departures per day from Dublin to the London area. That's a city pair, uh, and not an individual airport, but all the airports in London put together. If you knock that back by 10%, there'd be 50 departures a day, and so on and so on. So uh, I I don't buy the connectivity argument. Uh, And what I imagine is going to happen if the Commission pushes ahead in this direction is that you could end up with a period of very little growth in in aviation, maybe none, for quite a while, especially if they go ahead and bring in VAT as well as the the jet kerosene tax. but I kind of doubt if you'll see a sudden collapse in, in air traffic volumes. Yeah. Barry, uh, Aer Lingus and, and Ryanair, obviously two big airlines uh, within the European sphere. What are they saying about this potential tax? Because this isn't good news for the airlines. Well, no, understandably, uh, airlines don't want to pay any more tax. Ryanair says they already pay 600, they'll, they'll pay 630 million in environmental taxes alone this year. Um, and this is despite the fact that they are one of the most efficient and greenest airlines in Europe. IAG, what? which owns yeah. Aer Lingus, uh, well, this is that, that's what Ryanair says. The, the IAG, which owns Aer Lingus, they recently announced a, um, a a big initiative. Their chief executive, Willie Walsh, recently announced a big initiative, and we, we touched on it, I think, the last time I was in here, um, where they are aiming to be net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to produce... Uh, CO2 gas and other greenhouse gases it's going to be offset in some way but there will be they, they will undertake various steps to, to actually reduce emissions uh, alongside the, backing things like solar energy and planting trees in South America and what have you which are designed to, to offset the, the amount of carbon they produce the overall industry view of this is we can solve the problem we have mechanisms for doing this and you should let us get ahead and solve the problem and we're only about 2% of global emissions. Now I know that Colin pointed out at the weekend that actually the EU is fairly sceptical of, of the industry's own approach to, to, to bringing itself in line. Colin, I think I'm right in saying you're a member of the board of the DAA? Dublin Airport, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, what, how does Dublin Airport uh, approach this whole issue of uh, climate change? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the, the airport really and all the airports in Europe are passive in all of this in the sense that air traffic will be whatever it's going to be and it has to be facilitated. Uh, uh, Dublin Airport, uh, it's really the only one in Ireland of which this is true, 
is a bit squeezed for capacity uh, uh, at the present time. There, there's only really one main runway, uh, and there's no slots available on it for the, most of the peak hours. Uh, and there's a second runway being built, so that solves that problem. But there's also pressure on boarding gates, and the terminals get a little bit uh, uh, squashed at times. Now, uh, this time of the year, actually, they're not too bad, but uh, at peak times, they get a bit busy. Uh, so th there's a capital program there. Uh, however, uh, any airport in Europe that builds an awful lot of extra capacity, uh, let's say big new terminals and so on, uh, is taking a bit of a punt because we've been through a period since the end of the, the downturn when air traffic around Europe has grown pretty quickly. I mean, there'll be 5 6 7% growth rates in some markets for several years now. It's very difficult to see that continuing, uh, and not just because of these environmental taxes we've been talking about. Uh, there's a slowdown. Uh, anyway, Brexit's a negative factor, particularly for us. Uh, Mr. Trump is having a trade war with China. He's also having a trade war with the European Union, don't forget. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, you know, at the end of what for a lot of countries has been a fairly good recovery, really, uh, these things do run out of gas naturally anyway. So I think that the airport industry generally around Europe is probably not as enthusiastic about big capacity expansions as, as it would have been a few years back. Uh, and, and the airlines have been kind of pulling capacity or, or not pulling capacity, but trimming back their plans for capacity expansion. And now, Barry mentioned that the European Union is somewhat sceptical about these uh, carbon offsetting measures that a lot of the airline yeah. groups are taking. What's your own view? Uh, I have always felt that the best way to deal with the threat of climate change is a universal consumer and carbon tax, which identifies the externality, penalizes the externality, and thereby provides the incentive for alternatives. Uh, so how would that work? Uh, you put a tax on stuff that causes carbon emissions and leave everything else alone and let consumers make the adjustment. And we haven't done that over the last 20 years. Uh, and we were recommended to do that, but we didn't. Uh, and that means that the cost of adjustment, now that it's finally, I hope, being faced, the costs are going to be higher than they would have been if governments had done the right thing a long time ago. You're right that there are industry groups. It's not just the airline industry. There's all sorts of industry groups uh, announcing that they're green and that they have voluntary green. There are now green banks, apparently, who will lend you green money, I suppose, green bikes maybe. Uh, and, and a lot of this is virtue signaling and public relations, uh, and there is scepticism about it. I was on a flight uh, with one of the big European legacy carriers uh, uh, a while ago, and the in-flight magazine said, if you donate your frequent flyer points to us, it said, we will get some unidentified geyser in South America to plant a tree or something like that. Now, now people are not convinced about this. And the simplest signal you can send is to say that jet kerosene causes emissions, same as diesel in your car or coal or whatever. Uh, and uh, we're going to bring that home to everybody by saying it's going to cost extra if you consume this product which has a lot of 
carbon emissions associated with it. Uh, and I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's been inevitable for a long time. If it had been done 20 years ago, we would not have built unsuitable central heating systems, for example. Uh, we would not have built coal-fired power stations. We're about to close two turf stations down in the Midlands, and a third, I think, not too far behind, which were built relatively recently. Uh, and we shouldn't have built them, and we wouldn't have built them if there had been a carbon tax in place when those decisions were taken. Barry, you've written about this um, quite extensively, actually. How does Ireland fare against other countries, let's say, in terms of our emissions? It, in global terms, we're a blip. The, the last figures I saw from the EPA said that, that the, the emissions in 2017 were 67 million tonnes. To put that in context, IAG, the airline group, emit, emits about 30 million tonnes a year. But the problem is that the EPA says, because of the, some of the, the issues that Colm has just highlighted, such as coal and turf burning power plants, in proportionate terms, we're actually very poor performers. And the government has actually acknowledged this as well. I mean, the, the minister with charge of all this, the minister in charge of our climate, Richard Bruton, um, acknowledged not so long ago that we're falling well short of our targets. In fact, the only industry that's likely or that, that's, that's coming close to meeting its targets, oddly enough, is the energy system, which uh, probably bears a disproportionate uh, burden in all of this in this country. But it's just the... The, the, the approach that various governments have taken. I mean, I think Cullum is right in that you really need a universal solution to what's a universal problem. Like aviation, we're talking about that. Aviation has become a kind of a whipping boy for something uh, that actually uh, we cause all the time. If you put margarine or some other one of these commercial spreads you buy in the supermarket on your toast this morning, you contributed to climate change and you contributed to uh, habitat and biodiversity destruction. Pretty much everything we do has an impact. Um, putting the, the idea of carbon tax and, and costing that in some way and trying to incentivize people not to make so much of an impact probably makes a lot of sense. Um, and certainly I think it's true that a lot of the things we do that, that we're doing now, we wouldn't be doing had we come along and done that years ago. But this is still a very complex problem. And even the people, the scientists who understand it far, far better than I do, um, uh, will still tell you that there are a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things going on out there that we simply don't know and don't understand. Yeah, Colm, is the government doing enough from a policy point of view to deal with this issue? Yeah. I, Why I, aren't I, we putting trees down, for example? Uh, yeah, well, we are a bit. Uh, I, 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 there have been some interesting things recently. Um, the perception that's out there that Ireland has been a serious sinner in all of this and that we are banging out enormous amounts of emissions and, and that we've been very naughty. Uh, I think that's not entirely true. Um, Barry mentioned that the emissions from the power generation sector have gone down a lot. We've got lots of windmills now and we've got rid of some of the old power stations that, that, uh, uh, that were high emitters and we're not using money point as much as we used mm. to do. It's going to close in a few years' time. Uh, and so on. Uh, one of the figures that, that is quoted constantly is that Irish farming produces 32 or 3 percent of this total is emissions. Belching cows, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, rude, rude, bad mannered cattle. Uh, however, we don't eat much of the butter and yogurt and it's exported. cheese and stuff, it's exported. Uh, so if you blame uh, the dairy farmers of Munster for all of this, 
then you should certainly blame the sheikhs in Saudi Arabia for the petrol that you use in your car, since they produced it. They're not consuming it, but they produced it. But we don't measure emissions that way. We, we measure some of them on a consumption basis and some of them on a production basis. Uh, and the output of emissions uh, embodied in oil in Saudi Arabia is controlled here because you pay extra for the juice you put in your car. Uh, and, and the logic, and economists have been pointing this out forever, but you know, uh, not, nobody listens to them. Uh, the logic is that you should tax stuff at the consumer end and say, look, consumers, uh, if you're going to consume this stuff, uh, it, it's going to cost you. It, it, it creates carbon emissions somewhere, perhaps in a foreign country. It doesn't matter where. Uh, the world only has one atmosphere. Some of the some of the discussion here in Ireland, uh, it only makes sense if Ireland was a planet and had its own atmosphere. You know, you get people saying, um, uh, the weather here is terrible and we're going to get flooded out. We better, the government, the Irish government better do some kind of emissions. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Uh, uh, the, the emissions here... Uh, in a year, are exceeded by the emissions in a few days in, in China or in the United States. So, so it's a universal problem, as, as Barry said. The Taoiseach, uh, I thought, made a very interesting speech a few weeks ago, um, uh, and it wasn't commented on too much, where he pointed out that 90% of Irish agricultural output is exported. Uh, and he pointed out that this business of attributing the associated emissions... Mm to Ireland and blaming the, the lads down the Golden Vale uh, is, is a pretty incomplete way of looking at it. Uh, and uh, the, the, his most, most recent announcement to the effect that uh, uh, Ireland is now going to support the, the tax on jet kerosene, having earlier indicated that it might not, uh, I think that suggests to me that... that uh, the government's began to join the dots and, uh, and understand that there will be big changes in European climate policy uh, and that here in Ireland we need to come up with a coherent position on all of that. Uh, and uh, it looks to me as if policy is beginning to point in, in a better direction, namely put in the taxes uh, at the consumer end worldwide insofar as you can uh, and that that would avoid the errors of the last couple of decades when loads of investments have been made in stranded assets. Well, I have you here, Colm. Let's talk about Brexit. There's a UK general election underway, and we'll have a result on December 13th. Boris uh, wants to get Brexit done. That's his key slogan in this election. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the deal that's been struck, first of all? And um, is it a good one for Ireland in the long term? Well, first of all, he's not going to get Brexit done. Uh, he has done a deal on the withdrawal agreement. The withdrawal agreement is about three things. How much do you owe? You've got to settle your bar bill before you resign from the tennis club. Uh, second, uh, what are the rights of Brits that live in Europe and Europeans that live in Britain? And third, how do we avoid problems at the Irish border and, and protect the Good Friday Agreement and all that? Those three things are dealt with in the withdrawal agreement, but nothing else is. Uh, so next March, uh, the British uh, and, and, and the Commission, assuming Boris wins the election and Britain becomes an ex-member third country uh, at the end of January, that's what he said he's going to do, 
Then next March, they will sit around and say, right, let's do a free trade agreement between uh, the United Kingdom and the European Union. And he has said, I was stunned at this, but he did, uh, that the standstill transition period in which nothing changes will end at the end of 2020. Uh, there was a possibility that that could be extended for a year or even two if the negotiations were going slowly. And I think the negotiations, if, if, if they're a better really comprehensive trade ag agreement between Britain and the European Union, they will go slowly because it's very complicated. Uh, so the only agreement that they can get together next year in time to end transition at the end of next year will be a very bare bones kind of deal, which just says no, no tariffs and no quotas, uh, but out of the single market, out of the customs union, uh, and a huge sudden increase in all sorts of non-tariff barriers. Uh, and, and people under, underestimate how, how significant they are. So I think what Boris is shooting for is a very hard Brexit, nearly as hard as the no deal that we were also nervous about a few months ago. Now, uh, uh, one, one commentator in the UK said, oh, look on the bright side, he might be lying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and, I mean, a hard Brexit obviously would be bad for Ireland, um, bad for agriculture in particular, because that's probably the most exposed sector. I, I think particularly bad for, for agriculture. Uh, the fact that the Northern Ireland border is going to be kept open, so far as we can see, is a plus, but east-west trade is much bigger than north-south trade. We do trade across the border, uh, but the trade across the Irish border is more politically significant than it is economically significant, and that's true for Northern Ireland too. And Northern Ireland does more trade with Great Britain than it does with the Republic, and we do more trade with Great Britain than we do with Northern Ireland. So it's, you know, politically, I guess the government felt you have to put uh, uh, the safeguarding of, of the peace in Northern Ireland ahead of everything else, and they've done that. Uh, but if it's a hard Brexit along Johnson lines, uh, it could be very tough for Irish agriculture. And are you positive or negative about the Irish economy and the place it's in at the minute, especially going into, you know, we're coming into a, a new year? A lot of concerns being raised that maybe the corporation tax levels, the record levels that we're seeing at the minute aren't sustainable. Yeah, uh, well, corporation tax revenue has been several billion ahead of where the government expected, uh, expected it to be taken the last few years put together. Uh, and the government is boasting that we have the budget more or less balanced, uh, but it wouldn't have been if, if corporation tax revenue uh, had been as predicted. Uh, and it's vulnerable, uh, clearly. Uh, but more broadly, the economy is kind of vulnerable because it's done so well. We've cut unemployment from uh, over 15% to under 5 You can't do that again. Uh, mm. The economy at the end of the downturn, say 2012, 2013, uh, had a lot of spare capacity, uh, a lot of people out of work and so on. Uh, that's been absorbed now largely, and the, economy's, the, the recovery's been faster than I thought it was going to be. I think it's been faster than, than, than most people thought it was going to be, and it's been going on now for six years. So... That, that kind of thing does run out of puff anyway, but regardless of the external mm. environment. So, um, should we be concerned? Well, I, I, I'm kind of sorry that the budgets of the last few years weren't a bit more cautious. Uh, and, and, and the government 
they use the word prudence constantly in, in, in speeches, but they haven't practiced it really. Government spending. Even this year's budget? I, this one may, may, may be a little bit uh, uh, more cautious than its predecessors, but uh, there have been big increases in public spending, including unbudgeted uh, increases, as the Fiscal Council keeps pointing out, and there have been reductions in taxes. And the trouble in an economy like this, the corollary of saying we will borrow and support the economy in the bad times is that you've got to do the reverse in the good times. Uh, and well, that's haven't. maybe where the rainy day funds might come in. Where it, uh, uh, that's accounting trickology, really. Uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, from about 2015, 14 even, Onwards, we really should have begun to shoot for small budget surpluses, and we didn't. Mm. And of course, we have an election next year, most likely. Um, so there's every chance that there will be a lot of lavish promises made to voters in the room up to that. A bit like we've had in the UK, free broadband yeah. for everybody if you vote Labour. Yeah, yeah, but but one should never be indulgent uh, of that kind of thing. That, that's what I call the boys will be boys uh, approach to political journalism. Uh, you, 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 you know, the, the logic uh, is that if you want to be in a position to run uh, stabilization policy in the bad times, you have to get the polyphonatus under control in the good times. Uh, and I think we haven't really done that the last few years. Yeah. Okay. All right. We leave there. Colin McCarthy and Barry Hallen. Thank you for joining us. Okay. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Colin McCarthy, and Barry Hallen. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>